0: So, um, this morning, um, as a church, we're currently working through the Daniel Dilemma by Chris Hodges and our Connect groups, and we're following up with the same topics on a Sunday. Um, So, you'll be familiar that we're doing that because um, Stephen spoke on the theme for last week um, based on what we're doing. Um, So, today, I am going to be speaking on the topic of identity. Identity. And I'm going to be covering this in three parts. So first of all, I'm going to do a brief summary um, from the Daniel Dilemma, so we're all caught up in that. And it will be a summary verbatim from Chris Hodges, because I have no intention of rewriting the man's work or taking it as my own. Absolutely no point in doing that, but just as we're all caught up and where this theme initially came from, I'll do a brief summary. But then I want to do my own um, additional thoughts on identity by looking at what identity is, And ways in which we can forfeit it. And then I want to give you one thing that I believe we all have in common which can give us confidence um, in who we are and our identity despite our circumstances. So a one-point sermon. There's only one thing you need to remember. So some of you are saying I've been at this church 30-something years and I've never had a one-point sermon. Well it's coming today, the (laughs) one-point sermon. So okay, (laughs) let's just hope it's a really good point and you'll remember it. Okay, but one point sermon. So, the Daniel Dilemma um, is all about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. So, standing firm and loving well in a culture of compromise. And, you know, I think, I don't actually know um, how this topic came about, like the Daniel Dilemma Sorry, study, because I've not been in SLT meetings for a while, been on maternity leave. But I think, what a great study for right now. Right, In a culture of compromise, what a message for the church today, here in Scotland, all over the world, um, how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And you know, I don't actually have this on my notes, but I've just decided I'm going to throw it in anyway because I think we should celebrate the victories as well. And you know, I think this week, because the Daniel dilemma is all about how Daniel not only stood firm, but he changed the culture around him. I thought, what a fantastic victory this week with the Asher's Bakery case. Changing <laughs> culture. <laughs> and I say, I've just got to throw that in this morning because, you know, I do think we need to celebrate the victories. That was four years in the coming. Those guys in the Christian Institute could have walked away at any time, but they hung in there, and now there's a precedent in law. So I think, fantastic, standing firm, but still influencing the culture around about you, and that's what the Daniel Dilemma is all about. And this week, the connect groups have been looking at identity theft from the perspective, of, perspective sorry, of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, and from the perspective of the whole nation who were captured in Israel and enslaved in Babylon. So Chris Hodges says their identity as a nation, An entire nation was stolen as they were enslaved. And also these four guys had their identity stolen. And he pulls that from the first chapter of Daniel, from Daniel 1, verses 1 to 7, when we see that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are taken into the royal palace. The first thing the chief of staff does is he changes their names. And again, I think Stephen covered this last week. Apologies, I wasn't here, but I believe he covered their change of names as well, but I'm going to go through it again. So the first thing the chief of staff does to these four guys is he changes their name, and he doesn't just change their name, but he changes their name to the opposite of what they had before very demeaning so Daniel his name means God is my judge and that has changed to Belteshazzar which means lady protect the king and Chris Hodges makes the great point in the Daniel dilemma that if you look at all pagan cultures he says there's gender confusion and again that's what we're living in today I definitely I'm going to make the point and I'm putting this on podcast and on record that in Scotland boy is there gender confusion I think we're leading the world at the moment in gender confusion with the things that are coming out of our parliament. So Daniel, his name was not only changed, but they tried to throw in some gender confusion by making his name mean lady, protect the king. Then Hananiah meant Yahweh has been gracious, and that was changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. And Mishael means who is what God is. To Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. And Azariah means Yahweh has helped, was changed to Abednego, servant of Nebo. So the complete opposite. And Chris Hodges makes the point that names are always a sign of ownership. And he says that even today we are all living to some name, something we believe about ourselves, or something that culture has put upon us. And that culture's first agenda is to change your identity and make us believe something about you that is not true. We let people rebrand us. And when culture shifts, we must know who we are. First thing culture does is try to change our identity. And I say, that's all I'm going to summarize in Daniel because I'm not going to stand up and give someone else's sermon this morning. But what I would say is if you haven't been at the connect groups, and I'll put my hand up, unfortunately I can't attend at the moment, that not only can you read the book, and catch up that way but Chris Hodges has also made his four-part sermon series on this available free on YouTube which I have been watching so again if you can't make a connect group I really encourage you to watch those um, because they really are fantastic. So as I say this morning I'm going to move away from Daniel for a moment as he not want to regurgitate the same stuff but I want to add to the topic of identity and I want to make the point that for most of us Unlike in Daniel, where we've had identity theft, I would say that our identities are not so much stolen as we forfeit them. We give them up, we let other people influence how we think about ourselves and who our identity is. We let other factors, outside influences, not even just people, but circumstances, influence our view of ourselves and our identities. So let's start at the very beginning for a moment what is identity because boy did I have to think about this myself you think oh I know what identity is but then I'm thinking how am I going to explain it what exactly is it so where do you go when you want to find out where something is and don't say google <laughs> although I say that actually I did google it but I googled it to get a dictionary because that's how you get your dictionary these days but you go to the dictionary that thing that used to be that big thick book you go on the internet okay so the Cambridge Dictionary says that identity is who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that make them different from others. So who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that make them different from others. So our identities are basically very complex. It's not just one thing that makes up our identity, not just one characteristic or role. And in fact, we like it that way let's all admit it, the last thing we want is to be thought of as simple people that are just one dimensional. We quite like to be complex because we like to be as unique as possible, don't we? We like to think of ourselves as being quite unique and different from other people. So identity is crucial to us and in fact it's so important that, have you noticed how popular things like DNA testing services have become all of a sudden? You see adverts on TV all the time, and these things are very popular. Find out your ethnic background. You know, what countries and parts of the world make up your DNA, and these things are huge at the minute. And people tracing their family trees and watching Who Do You Think You Are. I love that show. Anyone else? You know, and we're all obsessed with who we are. I want to know who I am because it's part of me. It's part of my identity. And another show I love watching as well is Long Lost Family. Any other fans of Long Lost Family? My husband can't understand why I continually choose to watch shows that make me cry. <laughs> Including Call the Midwife, which makes me cry every week. So, but that's a female thing, isn't it? And it comes from exactly the same place that says, I want to watch this film because I need a good cry. <laughs> it's a female thing, isn't it? Sometimes we just want to cry as well. It's weird, we can't explain it, but that's what, how it is. Sometimes you just want to cry. Get out your system. So yeah, Long Lost Family, a show that makes me cry all the time. And you know, I was actually watching the American version of Long Lost Family during the week um, on TV. And one of the girls on there was looking for her biological mother. And she said, one of the reasons she wanted to do this, and again, this isn't unique to that episode. You hear it all the time in these types of shows. But she said these words, I need someone to whom I can identify with. She says, none of my family looks like me you know, they were all over six feet tall and she was five feet. They all had, you know, blue eyes and she had brown setter and she says, I just want to meet someone I can identify with. And I say, I was preparing for this sermon at the same time during the week and I thought, you know, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Someone we can identify with and that's why all these things like DNA and tracing family trees is so important because the identity is at the core of who we are. We not only want to know who we are, but we also want to know who we can relate to as well around us. You know, as the dictionary said, qualities of a person or group could be your family. It doesn't have to be family as well. It could be another group as well, though, where you have something in common. And you say, I identify with you. I want to spend time with you. This is really important that I'm like you in this respect so I can, you know, socialize or, or be as a family, whatever it is. So identity, crucially important. And it's so important, that's the reason that it's the first thing that culture tries to change. And like we've just looked at in the Daniel Dilemma, you know, what are the things that make up our identity? Well, the first thing is our name. You know, it's crucial that we have identity, we have a name. And you know, when I was younger, um, I got called all sorts of different names, and very rarely Dion. okay? For people that didn't know me, that is. If you knew me, obviously people knew it was Dion. But, you know, I'd go to the dentist or something and people would call out my name from a sheet or whatever. And the amount of times I got Diane, I've had a pound for every Diane I got because people would look at it written down and they'd just think it was a typo. They wouldn't even try and pronounce it, they were just like, Diane, whatever. So I got so used to this. And then when sometimes people would have a go at it, to be fair, and I got Dione and all sorts of pronunciations, (laughs) you know. And so you know, constantly try to tell people, no, it's Dion as in Warwick. Yeah? yeah? That was how I used to always have to tell people, which then led to a whole other conversation about, oh, were your parents big fans? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I was not named after Dion Warwick, but that's the name. So, um, so I see lots of different names, and now, and then when I went to school, high school in particular, some people just started shortening my name, without even my permission, but they just be like, D, D-D D, or D, And all this, and I go, do you know, I hated that even more, actually. And the reason I hated it was because if it was just D, then it could be Diane or Deborah or any of these names beginning with D, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with these names, if that's what you're called. They're all lovely names, but it wasn't my name. And I actually, despite all the problems with people getting it wrong, actually liked being Dion, and I liked being slightly different. You see? So I wanted to be called Dion, I wanted my full name because it made me, you know, it was part of my identity and I say, the less people that had it as well, then it made me special, you see, so I like that. So names, very important and yeah, and I have to say actually as well, the Lord's got a sense of humor because now Dion is quite common and people do tend to know my name and see it written down, but I've now got a married name that no one can pronounce. So yes, I've had lemur, Lemaire. Um for some reason the hospital at St John's love a Maire. so it um, makes me very French, I'm Dion Lemaire. <laughs> um, so yeah, So yeah, the Lord's got a great sense of humour when he didn't, you know, I should be a smith or something, so I've finally got a name someone knows and understands, but there we go. So what other things make up our identity? Nationality. Yeah, that's a huge one, which actually follows on very nicely from the mayor, you know, and the fact that I've ended up with an African surname. But yeah, nationality is huge. And for us Scots, I've got to play the Scots card a minute, so apologies for anyone that's not Scottish, but my goodness, is that not a huge part of our identity? Right? You know, freedom and all that stuff. It's inbred and us, you know, and I just need to hear the mass pipes and drums. I know I want to sway and everything, and oh, it gets me going. Come on. You know, I even find myself supporting football teams when they're Scottish, even though I hate football, because it's, oh, come on, you know, and rugby, I don't understand a thing, but come on, you know, it's inbred in us, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to make any political statements from the platform, because that's not what this platform is for, okay, ever, and I'm saying that just in case anyone misconstrues my next statement, but, you know, I was telling my non-Scottish husband the other week that, You know, I think regardless of your political opinion and what side of the divide you're on, because let's face it, there is only two sides politically in Scotland at the minute, you know, two camps, that's it, nothing in the middle, then despite, I say, regardless of where you fall in there, and I call that head nationalism, okay, I think though, if we were all to admit it, we're all heart nationalists, regardless of political opinion. I say, as us Scots, there's just something that says we're Scottish first, you know, no matter what happens, I say, and where you stand, and I'm I see, I'm not going to say any more than that, or I might actually strain the territory by accident on the political front. But, you know, I do, I think we're all heart nationalists, regardless of politics, you know, and it's, I say, it's just hard to explain, you know, and maybe it is because we're small, therefore we want to fight even harder, I don't know, but I say, it's just, it's part of being Scottish, and we love it. And it's so important to us that it even means that our men will wear skirts. <laughs> it's important! You know, men are prepared to wear skirts. Because that's part of our national identity, and we love it. But as I say, moving away from the Scottish thing for a moment, you know, just land of your birth, I say, regardless of your nationality. It's vitally important to us and to our nationality. And to our, sorry, to our identity. And that's why, you know, if people are forced to leave, their homeland, for whatever reason, is such a big deal. And again, I hope this isn't construed as political, because I don't mean it to be, but you know, people that are forced to leave their homelands, you know, I know we have to have border controls and all that kind of thing, but you know, we need to still have compassion on people, because no one chooses to leave the land of their birth, really. No one chooses to do that in the mean, if they have to, You know, et cetera, and we need to have compassion for these people because it's part of your identity where you come from another part of our identity is the roles we have so first of all the roles we have in our families so husband wife mother father grandfather grandmother daughter son etc etc so you know this morning i have managed to wash my hair and actually wear it down so actually straighten it as well i've managed to put on a little bit of makeup for the first time in 7 months and i'm wearing something that's been ironed <laughs> so why am i telling you this because mother is part of my identity and as the mother of two young children at the moment let me tell you that doing all of this means that preaching is not my greatest achievement of the day so, And getting here early as well, that was a big achievement, getting out the door. So yeah, one of my identifying roles is mother. And it is one of the best roles and best parts of me. But you know, I'm not sure why I'm meant to be saying this next bit today, but I really believe I'm meant to, so hopefully it might help someone else. But you know, a moment of honesty. for a mo- um, You know, as a mother... Especially when our kids are really young and demanding. You know, you get the occasional day where even though it's the best job in the world, you get the occasional day where you think, Where on earth did the rest of me go? What happened to me? Have I just vanished? Right, I'm glad I've got nodding heads here, okay? And you think like that, you just where did the rest of me go? And then you feel guilty for thinking about it like that because you think this is the best job in the world. Why right? do I think like that? And then it makes you feel even sadder. And then you're just caught in this loop. Oh, was me. Oh, well, I shouldn't be like that. Oh, Look at my kids. They're beautiful. Oh, was me. And ooh, where's the rest of me going? And you just have these, yeah, blue days. And you're just like, oh, where did the rest of me go? Will I ever come back again? And this happens for two reasons. Very simply. So first reason is just pure tiredness. Because you're just exhausted some days. And the other reason, like I said at the beginning, is that identity is formed through many different things and roles and aspects of us, and we like it that way. So in those days where you're caught in this one-dimensional world where you only have one role, it just sometimes gets to you. That's just the truth. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I say, maybe that's why I'm saying this this morning. Maybe I have to tell someone in here, a mother, there's nothing wrong with that. If you've got a really tired day and you can just, you don't know what else to do and where the rest of is gone, it's okay. And these days pass. And then we get back again. But it's fine. You're not the only one that thinks like that. So leave the guilt behind. But as I say, even in rewarding and nice roles, we like to think that there's other things about us. Then we have roles that we have outside of family and home. And again, I think we have the same danger with some of these roles of letting one role dominate and dictate the value we place in ourselves and the self-image we have. And therefore, if anything changes in that single role, then we're in trouble. So let me use another example quite close to home today. Even in church circles, you know, we can sometimes place too much emphasis on the role we do to serve the Lord or to serve in church you know, it might be a worship leader, children's worker. You know, whatever it may be. Sometimes we can let that one single role become so all-consuming to our identity. You know, that's how we like to introduce ourselves, and we're so proud of ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing a good job and serving the Lord. But sometimes I say, even with the best of roles, if we let it become the only thing that we're about, then if the, if something changes, or if the Lord calls us to lay it down then you've got to make sure there's something else about your identity other than just that. If the Lord says, no, I'm calling you out of that for a time, you place that down. Or I say sometimes it's just circumstances change and you don't get to do that job for a while, you know? So many different roles we can have, and I say it's important we don't focus too much on one, even the best ones. Our jobs huge part of our identity our jobs and for some reason i think this is the bit of our lives and identity that we often feel we're the most judged on you know that question so what do you do and how many times do you speak to someone that feels ashamed of what they do and they don't really want to answer that question because we place so much emphasis in our culture on jobs and we put our worth in our careers and how successful we are and what cars in the driveway and all that stuff that goes with it. So what do you do? And then if we don't do anything, if we don't have the ability to work, has a huge impact on our self-worth and our identities. You know, you're made redundant or you become disabled and you can no longer work. Where does your self-worth come from if you can't provide the same way you used to provide for your family? Forms a huge part of our self-confidence and how we think about ourselves. And you know, s- most of you will know because I've spoken about it before. But you know, I've been through a number of job interviews over the 12 months before I went on maternity leave, trying to secure a job um, before I was made redundant. And you know, I may not be one of those people that always has the highest self-confidence. But the one thing I am, especially when it comes to my job, anyway, in that profession, because I've done it for 18 years, is I'm quite self-aware as to my strengths and weaknesses in that role. (coughs) Excuse me. So I really thought, you know, I knew what I was good at and what I was bad at. And again, it had been confirmed through feedback previously as well. You know, you're really good at that. You're one of the best people we have at that particular thing. And, you know, but you might need to work on this. So I thought I was very self-aware. And in fact, I still think I am in that sense. But interviews, they're funny things, aren't they? When it comes to what you think you're good at and not good at, especially competency-based interviews. And apologies for those that don't know what that is, but yeah, they're just a a form of interview that most of us are subjected to these days because apparently it's meant to be the most accurate way to assess a person's ability. Okay, Katie, I'm a bit sceptical about these things. So, but yeah, you go through all these interviews and when you're unsuccessful at an interview, you get feedback And it is good to ask for feedback, so don't get me wrong, it's definitely good, because you want to work on it, especially if you've been unsuccessful. But none of us like it either, let's face it. We don't want to find out the bad bits that we missed or didn't do right or whatever, but you've got to go and you've got to smile as well and go, I'll take the feedback, I'm very, I want to be more self-aware. Give me the feedback. And the reason I'm giving this as an example is, it's a funny process you go through when you get told you didn't demonstrate that, that's the word you got to, you didn't demonstrate that was a strength of yours, or you gave us too much of that and not enough of that. Then it becomes even more confusing because you take that on the chin with interview number one, but then interview number two, which sometimes is the very next day, you get feedback from that one that's the complete opposite to the feedback you got the day before. So all of a sudden your weakness is your strength again, and then your strength is your weakness, or you didn't demonstrate that, or someone says, I want you to mention that more in your future interviews, so you do it the next one, and they say, I wish you hadn't mentioned that, <laughs> because it's not their preference. So, see, you go through this roller coaster, right, and you're left at the end of it, and say, this is why I'm saying this now, not knowing if up is down and down is up, and, you know, who you are, did I really have that strength? And then you have this identity crisis. I'm not even going to call it a c- confidence crisis. I'm going to say it's pure identity as well, because you go from "I am Dion," you know, procurement manager, etc., the title and all the stuff that you have, to "Oh my goodness, I don't think I can do this job at all." The very thing I've done for 18 years and worked my way up, and I, I can't even do it. And neither wonder do they don't want to hire me. And all this rubbish goes through your head. Now I'm going to call it rubbish, right? although it's taken me a long time to say it's rubbish because it was it's like a wee worm and it does eat in there, okay? But that is not identity theft. It's the reason I'm mentioning this. Even though that left me with a crisis of identity and one that I'm still working through, if I'm being really honest right now, before I head back into work with a different role. But you know, that wasn't identity theft. That was identity forfeit. Okay? I let that external circumstance and external people influence my identity and my opinion of myself. I let that happen. That was an identity theft. I didn't steal it and I had no choice in it. That was me. I was giving it up. I let it eat away at me and and just confuse me and mess with my head. And this can happen at other times as well when people just say things to us, you know, negative things that are spoken into our lives and they can last years or lifetimes even. These things can eat away at us. You know, it could be a bully at the school. And I'm speaking to everyone here now as well, not just those that are still at school. Right? I bet there's people in here who can remember something said to you at school and it's still in there. Okay? Something said to you at the school. Just, or said in general terms, you know, you're ugly, you're useless, you can't do that. You're never going to make it. You're dumb, you're stupid. All these things that can be said to us, and sometimes as well, you know, it's said by loved ones, and they're not even meaning to hurt us sometimes, but sometimes our loved ones can even say daft things. And we'll never know sometimes the impact our words have had on someone else, because, see, we might think it was a throwaway comment or not really realise how it came across and then that just lives with someone. It lives on and on and on and it can, you know, they take on and it forms part of their identity like Chris Hodges was talking about in the Daniel Dilemma as well, you know, things people attach to us, or sorry, we let them attach to us. They form part of our identity. So do not let anyone or anything cause you to forfeit your identity. And you know, I only see one way we can really stop this from happening Because I think there is one external influence that we should always let inform our identity and that is the Lord himself. Because people are always going to let us down. Even the best of people and even people that we love and we'll even let other people down. You know, there's always going to be times where we're just going to be as supportive and encouraging as maybe we should be. But the Lord is always going to be rock steady there, loves us, as we've said already this morning, no matter what. He's the one that should form our identity. And finally, another thing that can have a bearing on identity, and I've not covered half the stuff that probably does, but one I want to cover is our titles. So if you've got a title, even if it's simply Mr. or Mrs., all these things have a bearing on identity. Dr. Reverend Stevie Roy. I'm saying that because you all noticed that that's how Stevie signs his emails and stuff. Reverend, we might call him pastor, but he goes for the traditional because it's recognized externally. That's why he does it. It's easily identifiable, and it says that's part of Stevie's identity. Reverend, the right honourable, her royal highness. Titles can have a huge bearing, especially those latter ones. You know, royal highness, mm, that's very important. Now, have you ever seen a royal that walks about like this? No. no. They all walk with their heads held high. I mean, maybe they're not all confident and the inside all the time, but they sure make it look like they are, don't they? And they're all, even in that windy weather on Friday, when they were losing their hats, they were still walking tall. <laughs> okay? And I like Fergie's hat. I'm just going to say that. I'll cut her some slack. I liked her hat. So. But yeah, H-R-H, walk tall. And you know, this is my one point now. You've been waiting patiently for it. So here it is, the one point that I want you to remember. The one thing that every single person in here has in common when it comes to identity is that we are all H-R-H. Okay, His or Royal Highness. So let me show you. So John 1 verse 12 Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Children of God, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So that makes us children of the king. Because who is God? He is king of kings and lord of lords. Children of God, the king of kings. And you know, my grandpa, one of his favorite songs was actually the song, A Child of the King. And I want to read that this morning because I do think the words are amazing. So this is based on a poem by Harry E. Buell in 1877 it was then set to music and a lot of you will know this song but it says my father is rich in houses and lands he holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands of rubies and diamonds of silver and gold his coffers are full his riches untold i'm the child of the king a child of the king with jesus my savior i'm I'm a child of the king my father's own son the savior of men once wandered on earth as the poorest of them But now he is pleading their pardon on high, that we may be his when he comes by and by. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth. But I have been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exile from home, yet still may I sing, all glory to God, I'm the child of the King. I am a child of the King, a child of the King, with Jesus my Saviour. I am the child of the King. Her Royal Highness, Dion. Another song to bring it more up to date. You know, Mary and Stevie were at Jared Cooper's church last week. And um, some of you might remember when Jared Cooper came to the church here. And we'll know, therefore, that he is the um, songwriter of King of King's Majesty. And that is one of my favourite songs. Um, And I think some songs have such an anointing on them that they'll stand the test of time. And I firmly believe that's one of them. I really do. And um, there's one line in that song that gets me every time I sing it. And it's the line that says, in royal robes, I don't deserve I live to serve the King of Kings in royal robes. Have you got your royal robes on this morning? Because if you didn't walk in wearing them, then you need to walk out with them on. And with your head held high, because you are Her Royal Highness, His Royal Highness. So put on your robes, lift up your heads. And no matter what else is going on in your life that might be influencing your identity, I want you to fill in that blank this morning. Our Royal Highness, put your name there. His Royal Highness, put your name there. And walk out the door with your royal robes on. We might not deserve them, but to all, as we've read in Scripture, to believe in him, he he gives us the right to be children of God. You're the child of a king. And I want you to do one thing for me this morning. Because I say, this isn't easy, this stuff. And I always smile when either I'm given a topic to speak on or the Lord tells me what to speak on and it's something I'm struggling with myself. I think, yeah, Lord, you're trying to tell me something. So I say, I'm not standing here saying it's easy because as I've just admitted, you know, I let people influence what I think about myself all too much at times. But I want us to do one thing, and I'm going to do this as well, to try and get this through to us and become a habit, I want you to wake up every morning for at least the next 40 days. And by that, I don't mean you have to really rigidly tick them off, but try and get to, because again, I think that's one of the numbers they say becomes a habit, isn't it? Sort of like 40 days. And I want you to wake up and say to yourself, good morning, your Royal Highness. (laughs) You know, or say it to your spouse if you feel funny saying good morning to yourself, but just say good morning, her Royal Highness Celia. Lovely to see you today. And I want you to say that to yourself every day. And if you can't do it the first thing in the morning because you forget, do it in the car on the way to work or something. But just, you know, lift up your head a bit, even if you're driving, and say, I'm the child of a king, a royal highness, Dion. So that's it. One point. But one point I believe is crucial for us to remember this morning. We are children of the king of kings. And again, let me say that again. Not just children of a king. Children of the king of kings. That must put us even higher than our own royalty. Surely, you know. In that sense. Although they're children of the king as well. Let me see. We're all. Yeah, children of the king of kings and lord of lords. So lift your head up high, and even if you don't feel you deserve it, put on your royal robe every morning, because you're the child of a king.